0: Hi, my name is Cecilia Punar, and welcome to this episode of Brave New Women. All around the world, there are amazing, ordinary women doing extraordinary things. Brave New Women is about giving those women a platform and a voice, and it's about changing the way that women are perceived, and it's a way of inspiring all of us to do the things that we've always wanted to do. Today, I'm so pleased to be talking to Anne baga Anne baga is located in France, as am I. Um, she's American. And in 2017, she started a business, which is uh, providing communication services for corporations, nonprofits, and news organizations. And before that, she was the international editor of the New York Times Style Magazine and the managing editor of Turning Points, which is the International herald Tribune, year-end magazine. She was also the editor of Special Reports on the Arts, Politics and Business, and for 18 years was the editor or senior editor on the business desk of the International Herald Tribune in Paris. I'm going to be talking to Anne about her career in journalism, so welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Anne, can we start um, way back um, to ask you, why did you become a journalist in the first place?
1: well um there there is a I can actually name the starting point um I was about fourteen, so in America that meant I was in ninth grade, so the very beginning of high school in those days and uh my English teacher handed me back an essay that I'd written one day and said, "Um this is very good, you ought to write fiction and I said the first thing that popped into my head, which was, "I don't really like making things up." and so so my teacher didn't miss a beat she said oh well then you should be a journalist and for some reason that just struck a great note with me uh i at that point i started uh, grabbing every opportunity i could to to write for my my high school paper i even wrote for i went to a girls school so i even wrote for the paper at the boys school uh i was a I was the local schools correspondent for our town weekly, and it just sort of built from there. Uh, I went. I worked on my college newspaper uh, while I was in college. I was the campus stringer for a news weekly. Uh, I got. That's a interest. campus stringer. Oh, that means you're the correspondent. If they have any um, stories, they want. From your campus, they want you to go out and interview the president or do this or that. Uh, you're the person they call. You can also suggest stories, but I never had much luck at that point suggesting stories that they should cover about my college. But that's okay. Uh, it was good experience working with professional editors and and responding to a request for for information. It's something I'm still doing today. So, uh, but that started that started back uh, oh my gosh more than 40 years ago. Mm-hmm.
0: So so that's how it started. Um, and how did you, um, what do you think meant that when you were 14, even at that age, you knew how to write? What was it that, it, that you'd done before then that got you to that point?
1: Um, that's a good question. I my, my mother always used to say that um, uh, I, was, I was, even as a, a, a young child, I was just eager for language. I wanted to talk. I wanted to listen. I wanted to. I always wanted to learn languages. I had a um, anybody who's ever had a Montessori education, and I went to Montessori school probably for nursery school, maybe a year and a half, two years. But anyone who's absorbed that kind of education, where you take in all your senses, and and this particular school uh, started us on languages, foreign languages at the time. So I remember learning little bits of words in French and Spanish. I think it was the desire to um, and a and a, a real pleasure in In working with words, in speaking and in putting words together on the page. So um, I also think, and and I've I've read something about this later in life, that everybody in my family has terrible eyesight. We all are very nearsighted. (laughs) We wear (laughs) wear glasses, we've worn glasses since we were children. And I think that because I have bad eyesight, I tend to be more tuned to pitch and rhythm, what I take in orally than what I take in visually. So that tends to favor someone who wants to play with words and how they, how they sound and how they're put together. So you, I, if
0: I had to guess, I could say it's that. Do you uh, listen to a lot of music? I do. I love music. Hmm. So that, that might I mean, be the same. Yeah, I've,
1: I've, I've, even, I've even played music. Uh, as a kid, I played the violin. I've got a piano and I noodle around with it. I play the guitar. But what I really love to do is sing very badly to whatever I'm listening to on the radio, <laughs> uh, or, or in the car. Uh, I, have, I have a terrible singing voice, but, um, but I, I just love to do it. Something gives me great pleasure. And I've, I think I have a good auditory memory for songs too. I can remember lyrics and things. I, there was a, used to be a show in America called Name That Tune. I'm not sure if it ever traveled, but um, you, you were you were judged on how quickly you could name a song after hearing only a few notes. And I like to say that I can name
0: that tune in three notes. <laughs> <Whatever it is. laughs> so you were you you were being um uh, acting as a as a journalist already in your college years and uh, what did you study
1: i studied um romance languages and literatures french and italian i i went to a i went to a college that didn't have a journalism program and that was by design i'd gotten some advice Back when I was in high school, if I wanted a career in journalism, should I go to journalism school or should I go study something else? And the advice broke down into two camps. Yes, go to journalism school, study journalism, because you'll make all kinds of contacts. You'll get, you'll get uh, internships and so forth. Um, you'll learn it that way. And then others said, don't ever do that. The best way to learn journalism is is by going out and doing it. And you can have plenty of time to do that once you're finished with school or in the summers. But go study what you like. Study something that will help you in journalism. Something like history or language, whatever politics, whatever strikes your fancy. they also said, if you study something you love, you'll do well at it, and eventually that will help you in your career too. So, I did love languages, and I went to a college that had wonderful language programs and a good student newspaper. So, I got to combine the two from the very beginning, and it was deliberate. That's why I chose that school.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you went from there straight into a job in journalism?
1: Yes, I did. And and that was lucky uh, because, well, I... Um, Uh, I graduated from college in 1978. The college is Dartmouth. I don't know why I'm being cagey about it. I'm very proud of having gone to Dartmouth. And uh, in 1978, it was two years after a film called All the President's Men came out in the United States. And that film was about the reporters at the Washington Post who broke the Watergate story and brought down President Nixon. They were heroes, popular heroes, cultural heroes. And Everybody, it seemed, wanted to be a journalist. Um, The statistic that got cited in those days was that there were more students in graduate and undergraduate programs in journalism in the United States than there were jobs on daily newspapers and magazines. So they could have fired everyone, and there still wouldn't (laughs) have been enough jobs. So this was the job market I was I was entering in 1978. But fortunately, I did land one interview at a newspaper, and I, I got the job. It was a job as a police reporter, which is the classic entry-level position. And it, it turned out to be one of the best jobs I've ever had because it was a small paper full of uh, ambitious young people and wonderful editors who took it as their mission to train the next generation. So uh, I, I covered police in the morning It was an afternoon paper, so our deadline was 11 o'clock. So, from 7 to 11, I covered police. There was a break for lunch. In the afternoon, I was the religion editor, (laughs) (laughs) which meant writing up events at various churches in the area. It was a paper in Virginia, and and in the South, American South, religion is taken quite seriously. There's a lot going on at at the churches, so there was a lot to write about. And then in the evenings, uh, I volunteered to write uh, rock music reviews. So I tried everything I could grab my hands. <laughs> at, and it was, it was wonderful. And I learned from terrific colleagues who went on to great careers. I learned from, as they say, wonderful editors who really took it as their mission to, uh, to train young people. And I, you know, I couldn't have been happier.
0: So what sort of things do were they training you on? What do you need to learn as a journalist?
1: Well, the first thing you need to learn is to be accurate. You need to get, All of the details in your story, right? And you learn this on a daily newspaper because, especially an afternoon paper, because if you put something in your story that day, it appears on the street at two o'clock in the afternoon. By 2.30, if it's wrong, you're going to get a phone call from whoever's name you misspelled or got their age wrong or got the details of their court case wrong. So it was immediate reaction. People talk a lot about how now in the age of online journalism, oh, the reaction so immediate. Well, it always was if you worked for certain kinds of publications. So that was the first one: be accurate. Second was be fast, be on time. Um Fast maybe not, but 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 definitely be on time. Um, publications have deadlines. Again, this is something that this is going not get talked about as much in the days of online journalism, but. Uh, because the presses don't ever really just roll at a certain moment. But in the in, in, back when I started in journalism, they did. And if you missed your deadline, there was a blank spot on the page where your story was supposed to be. And somebody had to scramble to fill it. So you were not only letting down the people you were covering, you were letting down your colleagues. You were letting down the readers. Um, these are serious lessons that you learn very early on. And I learned the second one, the one about making deadline, because on my very first day, I missed deadline. I did not understand that when they said deadline was 11 o'clock, that meant the story had to be in their hands by 11 o'clock, not that I needed to be picking up the phone at 11 o'clock, or maybe sitting down to my typewriter at 11 o'clock. I, I only had to be told once.
0: Mm. You're late. It's- well, lucky it, was, lucky it was the very first day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Agreed.
1: Agreed. Hmm. So those are two things, and then there's the the, the the third thing you learn from that kind of early experience is uh, responsibility. You uh, not just making deadline, not just for spelling things correctly, but responsibility to the greater story. You need to make sure you're you're fair, you're complete, that um, you're not uh, favoring one side over another that you're not getting played, that somebody isn't using you to get their side of the story across by feeding you information. You need to be careful and skeptical and and fair. And that's all part of journalistic responsibility.
0: So you, you learn that very, very early. And do they teach you the actual craft of writing? Or is that just something that you learn on the job?
1: That's something you learn by doing, by making a lot of mistakes in the writing. Hopefully they don't make it into the publication, but you you learn it by working with careful editors who are not shy about bouncing things back to you and saying, nope, try again. Or or by having you sit with them. This is often what happens on a daily paper, and they don't really have time to bounce it back, but they'll, you'll turn in your copy, and if the editor needs to work on it, the editor will say, come sit by me and watch what I do. And I always used to feel as though my job as a reporter was to give my editors as little due as possible to turn in the cleanest copy I could. And I used to take it almost as, as a, as a personal failing if they had to do a lot to it. But of course, in the early days, they have to do a lot to what you're doing because you're, you're learning. So, um, you know, I always tell young journalists the best thing to do if you want to learn how to write is first of all, do it. And second of all, have great editors. Who, uh, who, will, who will uphold some really rigorous standards and not let you get away with anything. And then eventually you won't have to get away with anything because that will just become your language and your grammar. Uh, you will start to write in the style of the publication. You'll probably even start to write letters home in the style of... <laughs> I write emails in the style of the publication I worked for the longest, which was the International Herald Tribune, New York Times. And and you just, you just can't get away from it. But but that's, that's how you learn. I mean, journalism is a craft. It's, it's not something you're necessarily born knowing how to do. There are some things, there's some talents you may have or proclivities you may have that will make you a better journalist. You know, being very curious is one of them. Loving to work with words is another. Being a good listener is another. Um, at knowing how to ask questions and ask follow-up questions is another. But you learn all of those by doing and you reinforce those those skills as you go on. And I won't say that anyone can learn it, but it is there's there's something to that with enough application and will and and, and guidance. Uh it it is a craft that can be learned.
0: Can you do you have your own style or do you um because you were saying that you 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 very much pick up the style of the of the newspaper that you're you're working with. Um can you write in different styles um, and do you have your own style or does it just that, you know, that this is, this is the publication you're working for and that's the, that's the way that you sort of end up writing.
1: Well, when I'm writing something on assignment for a publication, I learn what the style is and I adapt my own work to that. It's part of not I'm giving my editors very little to do at the end. Uh, most Most mainstream quality publications have, um, their style is based on certain rule books. And so once you've learned that rule book, you're you're pretty much good to go for that publication, maybe with a few tweaks here and there. The main style book for journalism is the AP style book, the Associated Press style book, at least for American journalism. Uh, The New York Times style book is largely based on AP style. Lots of other individual style books are based primarily on AP style. And there may be, as I say, there may be things that, that you know, exceptions or tweaks that each publication does, but it's kind of your job if you're working for a publication to write in that publication style. There's a reason publications choose a manual of style. One of them is to enforce rigor. Another is to um, uphold standards. A third is consistency. Consistency. Mainly it's when you're talking about journalism, it's a government of of laws and not of men. You have to follow the rule book. Do I have my own style? I think I do, but since I've done so little writing for myself as an adult, I mean as I said, I don't like making things up. So I haven't written fiction and I don't journal and you know, I, I mean I write Facebook posts and things and I write letters, but uh I haven't I haven't really delved into finding my voice in another kind of writing, but that may come,
0: that may come. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, is, do you now at this stage in your life, do you have any, any inkling to write, to make things up? Or is that still?
1: <laughs> but I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, when, when the pandemic first hit and I was trying to figure out what to do with my time. Uh, I I had, I had, I was working for a publication at the time, but there were a few moments when I wasn't doing that and and I was just building up my, my practice with them. So I thought, well, you know, what if I always wanted to do that now I actually have the time to do and can, I can do remotely. And I, so I, I took a screenwriting course online. Um, I always thought that it might be fun to write a screenplay. And of course, when you're, even if you're writing about truth, even if you're writing nonfiction, with a screenplay, you are making things up because you're not necessarily following every conversation to the letter. And you weren't maybe in the room for every conversation, but you kind of have to have dialogue. So that was my first foray into making stuff up. And I found I really liked it. Um, It was fun. On the other hand, I also found that after a while I got kind of lost because with fiction, you have to have a narrative thread and you can do whatever you can make these characters do whatever you want, and that kind of freedom is is a little daunting at first. I, I'm sure fiction writers eventually, you know, come to terms with it, and and maybe they have a very clear idea when they sit down what they're going to what they're going to make their characters do, what their narrative arc is. But I was just dipping my toe in, so, but I look forward to to trying that because I do still think that writing a screenplay would be fun. Um, I'm also thinking that I'm at the stage of my life where it might be fun to write a memoir um yeah care to read it yeah so um so and I, I may I may turn to that once once I once nobody wants me to write for them any longer and I don't have to hear anybody else's style or schedule maybe I'll maybe I'll look into that hmm.
0: Hmm. we've sort of jumped from you know the beginning to the end so uh, where did you go from the small paper in Virginia
1: I went to a slightly larger paper in upstate New York hmm um Typical, at least 45 years ago, this was the typical career progression for a young journalist: Go somewhere, small paper, learn your craft, do it over and over and over again, move to a slightly bigger publication and do it again. Uh, so I did that. And then my big break, if you like, was that I um, got a job as a reporter researcher, basically a fact checker at, um, at Forbes Business Magazine. Uh, I I had an internship in the summer when I was in college at Fortune, another business magazine, and that showed me a couple of things. First of all, that I liked business journalism, which was a little bit of a surprise, but also that there were very few women in business journalism. A lot of the editors and writers were men, and I kind of thought, mm, that sounds like an opportunity. So, I was looking for a way to get back into it, and uh, after college, uh, I did my my time at The newspapers, which I loved, but then this opportunity came up to go live in New York and work for Forbes. So I took that, and I was at Forbes for about five years. I moved up from fact checker to reporter. I went to the Houston bureau of Forbes, and that was a wonderful experience, just ranging all over the American Southwest doing stories. Came back to New York and was getting ready to kind of move up the ladder there, and that was that was like business school for me, and that's really what cemented me in my. My path of being a business journalist
0: mm-hmm. you said that there were very few women there um, how was the fact that you were, were a woman an advantage, um, and do you think that uh, because I think you know we were years before me too, and you know all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. was it an advantage, and how uh, was it how was it being uh, one of the few women at, at forbes
1: um, well, it was kind of a double edged sword uh, in one sense. Uh, one of the reasons I liked journalism in, in college, anywhere, is that it was a, I found it was a profession that really valued the work over who did the work. So being a woman was, was, I won't say it was inconsequential but it wasn't the first thing people thought. I should also add that the college I went to Dartmouth had been uh had only gone coeducational um 2 years before I got there. So that was the early days of coeducation there. There uh it was very important whether you were a man or a woman. On the other hand on the student newspaper it mattered not at all. So I kind of found the same atmosphere at Forbes. It was really a matter of, you know, the quality of your work, uh the quality of your work ethic. Um, I did find sometimes going out on stories that since most of the people I was interviewing in business were uh, men considerably older than me, it, it helped a lot to have been at a college where sometimes I was the only woman in the room. And it, it it meant that I wasn't uncomfortable taking on much older, more powerful men and asking them questions they didn't want to answer. Uh, it was good preparation for that to have gone to the college that I did, uh, you know everybody has a story about being um i don't know looked at a certain way or dismissed or i mean the i do remember one time in particular uh i was on i was a fact checker i was out on a story with one of the senior writers who's still a, a mentor of mine uh we just we just had a zoom call just about 2 months ago talking about something and we there we were sitting and interviewing the ceo and all of a sudden he stopped And he looked at me and he said, my goodness, you're lovely. I'd like to have 15 of you running around naked in my garden. (gasps) In the middle of an interview for one of the top business magazines in the country. My goodness. And I was was shell-shocked. Fortunately, my mentor closed his notebook, stood up and said, we're out of here. I have three daughters. That is totally inappropriate. And 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 we're leaving. So we got it, we stood up and we went for the door. And and he came and I said, oh, I don't know what came over me. I said, Well, my, my mentor said, I know what came over you. Uh and and we're not uh we're not, you know, call me when you cool down. <laughs> and we left. Which which, you know, taught me a few things about uh how you stand up for a colleague and what a principled man looks like. I thought I didn't know that already, but, you know, I've heard lots of other stories where people, women were victimized uh, in, the, in similar ways and their male colleagues laughed it off. Their male mentors laughed it off and said, come on, he, he didn't mean it. Don't just, you know, you're too sensitive. My, my mentor knew exactly what was wrong with that situation. So that, that was, oh, a, in some ways, it was a good early experience of that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Did you have any other experiences like that?
1: <laughs> well, on my first interview for that, um, that newspaper job in Virginia, I had been set up, it was a, it was two newspapers that were operated at the same time. I was interviewing at both of them. And the, well, uh, the editor, the managing editor of one of them, uh, where I didn't end up working, uh, we were having a conversation about whatever. And at one point, he just stopped and said, how old are you? And I thought that was an odd question since he had my resume in front of him. He knew I was in college. So I said, I'm 21. And he said, well, you really just do not have the poise or the vocabulary of a 21-year-old. And I said, thank you. And he said, you don't have the legs of one either. Wow. And I thought, wow, my first job interview. (laughs) <laughs> my first so so when the when the offer came in from the other newspaper, I just breathed a big sigh of relief.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I didn't do anything and the moment, you know, what are you gonna do?
0: Yeah, what are you gonna do? what are you- Yeah, I was I
1: was shocked that he said that. I was 21 years old. It was my fortunately all he said all he did was say something untoward. But you know, when, when Me Too happened and everybody started sharing their stories, that's that's one I share.
0: Mm. Uh, Mm. Uh mm, Shocking.
1: Yeah. On the, other, on the other hand, I will say I've, I've been lucky in, in my career in that I've had wonderful mentors, uh, men and women, but the, the men who've been my mentors have been the, in the model of the man I just described, uh, uh, focused on the work, uh, enormously tough and rigorous and fair, but also willing to have my back. And willing to see opportunities that they could extend, that I, I, I think I grabbed and ran with. So, because I ended up here, so mm. so I, I I do feel fortunate in my career that uh, I haven't had a lot of bad experiences, and I've had many, many, many good
0: ones. Mm-hmm. What was it about? Um, you said you when you went to Forbes, you you were surprised that you were actually interested in business. What was it about business that was interesting you?
1: What, what I thought was interesting about business when I sort of got into what, what makes a business story is that um, business underlies so many aspects of our society and of our culture. Um, we used to joke and say there was a business angle to every story. It, there, there kind of is. It's, um, business can be a morality tale with numbers in it. Uh, people behave in business in, in ways that mirror the way they behave away from their work, but in business, they have to talk about it, especially if they work for public companies. So, whereas I never thought it was that interesting to do um, personality interviews or uh, celebrity kind of journal, entertainment journalism, maybe I'm being unfair about that, but I love talking to people about how they made a living, how they invented a thing, uh, how they designed a machine to do this and that. I just found that business journalism was so huge and contained multitudes that um, I never, I never saw the end of business journalism. I was, you know, I did it for most of my career, and there are still stories I would love to cover. Uh, when I read about politics, when I when I read about cultural phenomena, I always think, okay, what's what's the business relationship in there? Uh, what's the supply and demand? you know, responsibility, what, what, what were the marketing aspects of that? Um, and I never went to business school, uh, but I, but I learned about business by writing about it. And, and I still find it fascinating, uh, whatever the business underlay of, of a story or a, or a phenomenon is.
0: I suppose the other word we could use for business is, um, money. You know, what, what, where is it that people are uh, making money? How are they making money? Um, What's driving them about money? Um, and what value are we putting on things by paying a lot of money for them?
1: Yeah, I, I, think, that, I think that money changes, to, to, to quote Cindy Lauper, money changes everything. I think people behave in ways when, when money is involved that they don't behave in any other ways. Uh, money sometimes concentrates the mind on what you really want, what you really don't want. And uh, stories about how fortunes are made and lost, I think, are some of the most compelling uh, human stories mm. that you can mm. that you can tell. Wh- one thing I enjoyed a lot at Forbes is I got interested in personal finance, in investments, in building wealth, and uh, I continued that interest at the Herald Tribune and even in some of my freelance work. The you know the ability to 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 think about a goal and uh, put the decisions in place and the structures in place to achieve that financially, Um, for one thing, I think there's almost nothing more satisfying than saying 20 years down the road, I have to be able to afford college for this kid, and then 20 years later, there it is. The money's there, and it's because of what you did. You You have that control over that um i find i find that aspect of life just just really fascinating
0: and when there's it, when a it succeeds and when it fails there's a whole lot in there about um um goal setting and about um actually just um being able to say 20 years before this is what i'm going to do and then actually carrying it out i mean it it, it says an awful lot about human behavior yeah
1: Yeah, I I think it's a life skill to be able to do that. Um, One of the things that I'm proudest of is that when, uh, when I was in college and I had a term abroad, a study term abroad in Florence, I was learning Italian. And I was having such a wonderful time there that within about the first two weeks, I said, I have to get back here. I have to figure out a way to get back here. This can't, this term just can't be the end of it. And when I got back to campus, I asked professors, but I said, well, you could go back as a teaching assistant on that same program, but in order to do that, you're going to have to do this and this and this and this and this. And I did this and this and this and this and this. And a year later, I was back as a TA on the same program. And I realized, wow, I made that goal and I did what I needed to do and I achieved it. I still think about that as, one of my proudest moments. Um, And I got to see my daughter do something very similar when she finished college and then was trying to figure out what she wanted to do in her career. And she decided that she needed to get a master's degree. And But before she got a master's degree, she needed to work and save the money that she needed to figure out which master's degree. So she did all of those. It took her 18 months, but she did all of those things. And the day she left, for London to do her master's in cultural heritage studies at UCL was, was just an amazing day because she had set the goal, put the pieces in place, worked towards it. And now she was realizing it. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't think there's any, I don't, there's anything that, 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 that will never leave you. That feeling of accomplishment will just never, no matter how well you do at any other thing at a test or you create something. Um, that feeling of I need to that 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 vision of i want there I want to be in some place, but I'm here now. how do I get there, and then you accomplish that there's there's just it's a wonderful feeling.
0: have you had any other goals in your life that you where you've been through the same process
1: yeah, I think getting getting the job at the Herald Tribune was a little bit like that with a with a twist um
0: tell me about that
1: well when After Forbes, I entered what I sort of jokingly call my my years in the wilderness. I left journalism in part for personal reasons. Uh, The man I was seeing, who ended up being my first husband and the father of my child, lived in another city. So I moved to his city, and then we started traveling together. And mainly it was his job that determined where we went. But when finally we fetched up in Paris... And I had had a baby and was not able to work because I didn't have working papers. I started thinking, okay, what am I going to do to kind of get my life back together? What, how am I going to put the pieces? In? I do want to get back to work, but I don't have the work papers. I've got the child. Um, so what happened was I, you know, I looked into it and said, okay, well, in in three years, when the child is three, you'll be able to get uh, working papers and and. You know, then she'll be off to school. So I thought, okay, well, that's my goal then. When she turns three and marches off to school, I'll have my working papers and then I'll go get a job. And it wasn't from one day to the next, but I did use the time to kind of brush up some skills, do a little freelance work. And then something it happened in fairly quick order. Uh, we brushed up my network, got hold of people again. And then in fairly quick order. I think I got my work papers in June. She went off to school in September and I got hired by the Herald Tribune in December. I'm skipping a lot, but, but it it was, it was a similar thought process. Okay. I want to be here. How do I get there? Uh, it took a lot, it took three years, took a lot longer than I expected it would, but, but Mm. you know, in the end it, it worked out fine.
0: And is that, um, so you started the International Herald Tribune. Is that, um, is, that, how, is your, how were your feelings about that, that job? Was it that, you know, this is the most fantastic job I could ever do? This is my dream job? Is that?
1: Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. It was, it, it, the, the, the Trib was this, I mean, I knew about the Trib from my college days. You know, it was the newspaper all the American expats read. It was all the paper that all the Americans abroad read. And it was owned by, you know, two of the greatest news organizations in the world, the New York Times and the Washington mm-hmm. Post. Um, you know, as a good friend of mine in journalism said, when I told him I got the job, he said, oh, wow, to live in Paris and to take your pick of whatever these two great organizations do and then put out a paper that everybody reads. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Congratulations. So, no, I had a feeling right away that this, this was... I had, I had made it and I I had made it in the door and I wanted to stay there. So, but it was weird because up until then I had been a reporter. I had written for publication. Somebody else edited me. I had never been an editor and I got hired as an editor. So that was a little bit of a persuasive task on people who were hiring me. They, they saw that I had a, a good background in journalism, but I didn't have any editing experience. So they kind of took a chance on me. But I'm glad that they did because I actually found that I liked editing better than I liked writing at that point, and I think I kind of still do. Um, what I do now is I have uh, I have a job where I, I mostly report and write, and then I have another job where I edit, and um, I like them both. But um, I guess my heart still really is in in editing. I like improving things. I like putting my brick in the wall. Um, I, I like bringing whatever knowledge I have to making things better, teaching someone how to do it better. Maybe it has to do with the fact that I'm closer to the end of my career than to the beginning, but, um, you know, I've, I've had enough bylines. I'm having some more, but I've had enough bylines. Now I just want to make things, you know, better.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you, you were at the um, at the Herald Tribune for 18 years? Uh, 22. 22 years. And, and you were on the business desk all that time? I started on the business desk, yes, and was there for most of my
1: career. Uh, First as a copy editor, then I was a Sunday editor, then I worked, I I was one of the deputies um, for a lot of years. Uh, I I managed the personal finance section, I managed the weekend section. I did lots of different things always under the rubric of, of business news at about, Mm, year eighteen or so, there was a job that opened up that was half business and half news. In other words, you managed the business news desk, but you also did some management on the news desk, which was the politics and foreign news desk. So I, I did that for a little bit, and then something opened up in culture, and I took that. So I was doing that was when I did T Magazine, and I was doing special reports on the arts and and so forth. Um, and that's what I was also working on, Turning Points, the magazine of the Herald Tribune. So I would still say that most of my career was in business journal. I still think of myself as a business journalist, but I did have those other experiences, which is one of the nice things about journalism. It can, it can mutate, it can shapeshift and, and adapt to whatever the job is and whatever you want to do. So, but yeah, no, I, the, the, the Trib was, uh, I, will, I will always, there are two places, well, three places, really, I will always consider myself very fortunate to have worked. And the one was my first job the Norfolk Ledger Star, a newspaper that doesn't exist anymore in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, Forbes, where I learned more than I can even count from you know, my editors there, and uh, and the Trib. Because uh, there was just something about the Trib, the fact that it was, it was so many people for whom this was not their first job. In fact, it, in many cases, it was going to be their last job. It was always their goal. To work there, Nobody just sort of ended up there. You you targeted it, you applied, you worked hard, and you got there. And the fact that then we were all there in the same place, working hard to put out the same product. Uh, there was a team spirit. Uh, there was a competitiveness, but it was in a good way. We're always trying to make each other better. Um, I don't think I'm really sugarcoating it. I, I think it really was a very special place. And, mm. uh, you know, some of the people I worked with there, I still consider some of the best colleagues I've ever had. Mm.
0: Were there um, in your in your role, both as a journalist and an editor, have there been any particular stories that have been really difficult for you, uh, that have been um, hard to know how to write, that have been um, very sensitive? Are Are there any stories that come up that are that really stick in your mind as something that? you worried about or that 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 affected you emotionally (sighs) nothing comes to mind
1: um and i think that's mainly because i was in business journalism i i i wasn't really i wasn't an investigative reporter and a lot of the business journalism i did especially for forbes was more in the way of investment journalism if if I had been an investigative business reporter, I would have been in in a similar position to say some of the reporters who uncovered Harvey Weinstein or Bernie Madoff. Um, there are a lot of reporters who consider themselves business journalists who do environmental reporting, and so you you then would look into things like you know industrial polluters and things like that. But no. Um, in, in a way, I guess I, I missed all that. I was never a war correspondent. Those are those are horrible jobs. Um, you see terrible, terrible things. Uh, and as an editor, I wasn't handling that kind of copy. Mm-hmm. So, so, no. I mean, it's not comparable at all to writing about, uh, to, to, to shining the light on things people really need to look at, but they don't want to, which is, of course, what journalists are supposed mm-hmm. to do. And it's, this, what I'm about to say, is not similar to that at all, but you do agonize. Over making sure that you're you're being fair to the people that you're writing about or to the issues you're writing about, you worry about making a mistake, a dumb one or a big one, and we've all made them. It just it happens. Uh, so so you know you lose sleep over things like that. But um, but no no um, uh, the people who put themselves at that kind of risk, either emotional or even physical, um, they're heroes. And I don't. I don't think I've ever done anything that heroic in my in my career. Mm. Maybe that's to come, uh, but but not 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 up until now.
0: Mm-hmm. How hard do you have to work as a journalist? You know, the hours very long. Is it very stressful? I mean,
1: how? oh, the hours are terrible. the, the hours are terrible, um, especially if you're a writer or a reporter. It's sort of you're never done. You're never off. You can always make one more phone call. You can always, you know, do it better. And then once you turn in your piece, there's an editor like me on the phone saying, "What did you mean by this? Or don't you want to say it this way? Or what about that?" Uh, can you make another call on that? Um, the you know the saying is journalism: great careers, lousy lives. Um, there, it's very, very time consuming. Um, on the other hand, if you love it, there's there's not much you can say except that you love it and you do it mm-hmm. editing is a little bit less um invasive because you have fixed hours and and at some point the presses roll or the deadline arrives and you push the button and and you're done you're part of it's done but um you know i i got up uh, at six o'clock this morning because what i was working on last night at one o'clock wasn't finished I just had to have some sleep. I thought I'd sleep longer than that, but no, I woke up and was, my mind was racing. So I just, okay, well, I'll just make some coffee and just get it done. Um, you do learn to do, you learn to do what we do without sleep. You learn to do it when, you know, things are distracting you like the baby's crying. It's just That's just the nature of it. Being in a newsroom is great uh, training for that, actually. Tuning out everything around you
0: and just focusing on the work at hand. Um, so yeah, becoming becoming very efficient.
1: Yeah, Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, the journalism isn't alone in that. I mean, I, I cover what I do a lot now is I write about the law. I write about law firms and all the lawyers I talk to say the same thing that, um, you know, if you, you, you just, you, with the, with back before the pandemic with the travel, especially international lawyers would say, you just learn to do everything on two hours of sleep or no sleep at all. Um, it's, it's a skill and you develop it. It's a muscle that you exercise and keep hmm. the training.
0: And tell me about the move to paris. how was that was that
1: oh um well it, we we moved here for my then husband's job, but as i say i i was um I was happy to do it. I wanted to live here. I'd study languages. I'd always wanted to live here so um uh we we moved here because uh after after we got married, this is years and years ago thirty years thirty five years ago, to be exact. We decided we wanted to try to come to Europe before we had kids, before we had a house. Uh, and so we, we moved to London, then we moved to Brussels. And then when it was about time to think about whether or not we should go back to the States because of jobs and so forth, my my then husband got a job in Paris and I got pregnant. So we came to Paris and he had the job and I had the baby. and But I was just delighted to be here. This is where I wanted to be, you know, I would have wanted to do it perhaps under my own steam with my own job. And eventually I did get my own job, but got here anyway. And, and I just loved it here. Uh, I just immediately felt, immediately felt home. It may, it felt livable and comfortable and the language wasn't a problem. So uh, yeah, I, it was interesting. I was talking the other day to someone who like me belongs to a, an organization of English speaking mothers here in Paris called message Yep, it was a wonderful organization to get you plugged in as a new mother. You probably know about it.
0: No, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it, it really was a wonderful organization. Made great friends. My daughter made great friends through the the other kids in there. But I will say that there was a a, a hardcore of of women who belong to groups like that, who are in Paris not because they want to be, but because they have to be, and and you can tell because they're the ones complaining all the time about how it's not like at home. And yes, and that's absolutely true. But I do think that being here as an expat is a large, it's largely a matter of willpower and will Uh, you're as happy as you want to be. And um, I mean, some things are going to be inconvenient and difficult to adjust to, but if you're happy to be here, you'll, you'll make the adjustment and you know, never lasts that long. Really the adjustment period does it. I mean, mm-hmm. a year, maybe, mm-hmm. um, if you, if you work at it, if you're, if you're eager to, to fit in, learn the language, uh, go with the flow, you know, um, but I was always the case for me. I was, I was happy to be here from, from day one.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and what are you doing now? What's your business now?
1: Well, um, I am set up as an auto entrepreneur under the French statutes, which basically just means I have a structure to take in revenue for the work that I do. And as I said, I have. essentially essentially have two jobs. Uh, I am the European correspondent for an organization called Law.com, which runs a couple of publications uh, in the States and in the UK. In the UK, it's called Legal Week. And in the US, it's called The American Lawyer. When there are various other publications the ALM is the name of the organization, American lawyer media. And that's what I do. 90% of the time. I also have a small side gig helping out a, a new publication on Substack, the online platform for newsletters. I am one of their editors and I, I guess I'm kind of, um, everybody else is much younger than me. So I guess I'm kind of the, the den mother who, um, Is is helping? I guess I'm helping teach them some of the things that I've learned over my career, things about style and 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 how to how to work with writers. A lot of the writers that work for it are freelance, so but then that's a special skill to try to work their copy into shape. So those are the two things I do mostly, and then I have a few other little bits and pieces I do. I work for a travel company doing their newsletter. In fact, I'm going to have to do that when we get off the podcast. Uh, I have worked for a luxury hotel company writing stories for their website. And, um, you know, I I try once in a while to do some writing for myself and I just finished an essay for a book that'll be coming out over the summer called um, fast, fierce women. It's uh, a short essays about a moment in life when, when you were fierce. So, and I really enjoyed that. We were talking before about fiction. Um, This wasn't fiction. This was more like memoir, but I really enjoy doing that. So that gives me hope that maybe there's more of that kind of writing in my future. But that's what I do. Every every day is full and sometimes the weekends are full
0: too. Mm-hmm. And I mean it's it's just been a, a a huge pleasure talking to you and hearing about your career and so much that you've done. And I mean as a as a you know fledgling writer myself, I'm I'm really interested to hear about um learning you learning about the craft of writing that it it is a craft um and that you know really anyone as long as you just stick to your goals first of all you can become a writer but you can actually do you know whatever you whatever you like in life um and as just as the very last question i'd like to ask you is if you've got um anything that we've missed that you'd like to say or if you've got a message for the people who are listening or Anything at all that you'd like to that you'd like to add?
1: Well, two things that have run around in my mind uh, because I've been working on a piece for, for the law publication about uh, rising stars, women rising stars in Europe, um, top lawyers under the age of forty. Um, what comes up from from the interviews we've done is uh, the importance of um, a sense of humor and the importance of choosing the right partner. So, I guess the advice I would give in any endeavor would be, uh, yeah, choose the right partner. The right and partner being being a, a husband, um, uh, a, a helpmate, uh, someone. I think I think everybody should have somebody, and whether that partner is is, uh, is a significant other or a, a solid group of friends, uh, people who will support you. You know, you should surround yourself with people who will who will have your back and believe in you. And uh, and the other thing is don't take yourself too seriously.
0: Never. <laughs> yeah, I I think about that in terms of because um, I see a lot of uh, women leaders are often criticized by being a bit perfectionist and by taking themselves a bit too seriously and by putting a lot of pressure on themselves and on other people. And so I think that is um, so important to, you know, it's it's none of it's that important really. Um, if you make a mistake, yeah you make a mistake you all have. have tangle on yeah yeah That's all right. have all will thank you so much Anne. it's just been a real pleasure to get to know you and to and to spend this time with you so thank you
1: thank you cecilia thank you for having me on it was fun it's fun to talk about this it's it's really fun to it's fun to talk about anything that you love right
0: yeah absolutely absolutely i hope you've enjoyed this episode of brave new women Certain podcast sites such as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts or Podchaser let you leave a rating under review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more people will listen and the more these women's stories will be shared. So I'd really appreciate it if you could. Thanks for listening.